0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Let us pray. Lord God, may the meditations of my heart, of our hearts, and the words of my mouth be holy and acceptable unto you, O Lord our rock and redeemer. Amen. Perhaps no story compares to the story of the testing of Abraham. Few narratives in the Bible and in history can equal this story in dramatic tension. In fact, the story of God commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise, is one of the most well-known and theologically demanding stories in all of Scripture. There have been countless generations that have known the story of Abraham by heart,
1: word for word. But how many did it make sleepless? This was the central question
0: that Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish Lutheran pastor, asked in the late 19th century in a book Fear and trembling, which is based on the testing of Abraham found in our Old Testament lesson, Genesis 22. Soren Kierkegaard lived at a time in which there was a lot of debate about whether or not one could prove or disprove the existence of God. And as you can imagine, many people had a lot to say on this topic. In a nutshell, the philosophical context of the late 19th century was this that Christian faith had been absorbed, compromised by rationalism. This is the belief that everything about Christian faith was rational, reasonable, and could be explained away. Now, although being able to explain the reasons for why Christians believe what we believe is a good pursuit, the overemphasis of a reasonable, rational faith had unintended consequences, namely an apathetic faith that was just too comforted in its own reasonableness. So what emerged at the end of the 19th century was a socially accepted form of Christian faith that was more reasonable than costly, which eventually led Kierkegaard, to critique what he called the tranquilizing heresy of his day, a knockoff version of Christianity that was no longer suffering from an anguished conscience. For Kierkegaard, the basis for Christianity is not its reasonableness, that it all makes sense somehow. Rather, Christianity is a matter of faith in God whose revelation comes to us in the scriptures and in the suffering servant and person of Jesus Christ. What we find in the scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ is that true faith is not an easy matter, as we heard in Romans 8 in our gospel lesson. It is always a matter of risk, requiring the denial of ourself and often all the joys of this world true faith is costly it is costly because it calls us to follow jesus christ and it costs us our lives it is costly because it condemns sin and above all it is costly because it cost god the son
1: whom he loved and his life you were bought at a price. And what
0: has cost God much cannot be some cheap knockoff for us. And it's based on this understanding that Kierkegaard concluded what we call Christianity is simply playing at being Christians. And that the greatest enemy of Christianity is what culture calls Christianity, not the true expression of faith found in scripture and in Jesus Christ. In order to be truly Christian, one must become aware of the cost of faith and pay the price. With this in mind, Kierkegaard exhorted the church in his day and age to reconsider the story of God testing Abraham in Genesis 22. He landed here because he realized that the entire doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ and all Christianity begins with one of the most unsettling stories we find in all of Scripture. That in its stark requests is almost too much for us to bear. God asks Abraham
1: to sacrifice his son. His only son, whom he loved. You'll remember that
0: Isaac is the son of promise. So in him, every saving thing that God had promised is invested and guaranteed. What kind of God? Would do this? What kind of God would gift a barren woman, Sarah, a child and then turn around and require the child's death? Is this a God worthy of worship or just a monstrous deity to be avoided? As you can see, Genesis 22 evokes important questions about the nature of faith and God and the way of God with God's people. So the question that lies before us this morning is this, what does this story mean to teach us? But before we turn to the story of Abraham, there's two temptations I want to warn us against. The first temptation is to not be bothered by what God asks Abraham to do on account of verse one. That this was nothing more than a test, and that God did not actually intend the sacrifice of Isaac. You see, if this is our response, everything's fine about this story, and we explain it away, then we may be guilty of the same tranquilizing heresy Kierkegaard warned the church against in his day, that we're all too comforted with our own understanding of the ways of God. Yes. This was a test. But we must remember that we, the readers, are told this in advance. Abraham does not have this information. Like many stories in the Bible, the reader often knows information the characters in the story do not. In this case, we know that this was a test. But apart from this, we know no more about God's plans in ways than the characters within the story itself. We are as much in the dark about God's intention as Abraham if, if
1: we are willing to walk through the story with Abraham. Which brings us to our second temptation, which is for us to just jump to the story's conclusion.
0: If we want to understand what this story means to teach us, then we must go through each moment of Abraham's act and try to understand what faith looks like and pray that we can understand. So I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 22 as I read the first two verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham.
1: He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac,
0: and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Right off the bat, we are faced with difficulty that begins in the aversion immediately felt for God who asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. For Abraham, what God asked him to do was deadly serious. Up until this point, Abraham had had his patience tested beyond endurance. Back in Genesis 12, God commanded Abraham to leave his country, family, friends, and home. Then later, God commands him to cut himself in order to be set apart through the sign of circumcision at the age of 99. Then in Genesis 15, Abraham's patience was tested again in his response to God's promise of a son from barrenness. Now that all of that has come to fruition in Genesis 21, in the birth of Isaac, what we encounter here in these first two verses of Genesis 22
1: is unsettling. It is completely unexpected. The command of God is that Isaac must be killed. In the
0: same way, God, had commanded Abraham to cut himself off from his whole past. Here, God commands him to give up his whole future. There will be no descendants, no future.
1: And at this point in the story, it's as if we're on a journey back into barrenness. What? Why? Why? God's command here is completely incomprehensible. It goes against
0: all human reason and divine promise. Can the same God who promises life also command death? And does God really test in this
1: way? The premise of this story is that God does. It is at this point we discover how serious and costly faith
0: really is. So what does faith look like in this situation? How does Abraham do faith in light of what God has commanded? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. What are your first observations?
1: Do you have any questions in light of what we just heard read? Here are some of my observations and questions.
0: Did Abraham go to bed after God asked him
1: to sacrifice his son? And if so, did Abraham actually go to sleep? And if so,
0: how in the world could any parent sleep after the creator of the universe shows up and says, I need you? to kill your child? I think these are valid questions we should be asking. They're valid because they force us to read our own thoughts and feelings into those of Abraham. And no, this is not a bad thing. This is not a sinful thing to do. In fact, the way this narrative is written intends for us to imagine these sorts of questions as well as how Abraham felt. Abraham is not a superhero. He's human, just like us, with all the doubts and fears and emotions any of us would have in this situation. So as Abraham prepares to do what God asked him to do, the story invites us into the inward struggles of a father, of a parent, making the movements of faith with his son to the place where he will eventually kill him. In fact, this story is very long and drawn out in detail. And at times, I'm going to be honest, the sequence of the details just don't add up. For instance, Abraham loads his donkey, saddles it, takes his servants and son, then cuts wood to set out. Wouldn't it be more logical to cut the wood first before saddling the donkey? I mean, really, what is going on here? Is Abraham thinking straight? Does the author want us to think about his thoughts? I think the author does.
1: What would you be thinking if God asked you to sacrifice your only child? Is it possible that Abraham is trying to delay the most painful part of the preparation for this journey? what state of mind would you be in? Whatever state of mind he was in, Abraham did what he was told. And he began the journey on the road of what some call the road out into God forsakenness.
0: Amid the agonies of this journey, there is a stark reality that we cannot ignore that Abraham is faithful, and that his faith is steadfast and obedient. Without arguing or pleading
1: with God, unlike that in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's response is full, immediate, and faithful. For the second time, with much
0: fear and trembling, Abraham sets out for the place that God had told him about. In total submission to God and God's word, Abraham makes preparations to carry out the word of God in a steadfast manner. This doesn't mean that what he did was easy. And it doesn't mean that he's not anguished. No, again, he is as human as you and I. And I truly believe that the steadfast faith of Abraham is a faith that struggles against everything with in us. Let's not forget that this is a test. And often when I am put to the test, you know what? I, I become my biggest obstacle with all my thoughts and feelings and limitations. So the faith that we see on display here is one of total surrender to the will and word of God against one's own thoughts and feelings and limitations
1: against Abraham's will. The faith that we see on display is no small thing. It's everything. Let's turn to the
0: next scene in the story, beginning in verse five. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham,
1: father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son.
0: In this part of the story, we discover a little more about Abraham and Isaac's journey. What we learn is that Abraham's obedience flows from his trust in God and what God had promised. In other words, Abraham's faith is not some mindless obedience as if he's just following orders. No, Abraham's faith comes out of a place of trust. Abraham is utterly depending on God to provide what God had promised him in Genesis 12. That God would bless him with a son through whom God would bless the nations and the earth. Look at verses 5 and 8. Abraham says, I and the boy will go, we will worship, we will come back. And in verse 8, God will provide. Now, there is a certainty of faith expressed in what Abraham says, especially when we consider how the story ends.
1: But again, we must not jump to the end of the story. We must consider where we are at in the story. Up to this point, no one has spoken. The story is filled with silence. Until Isaac breaks the silence with these, the most unsettling word, Father, to which Abraham responds, My son. And in verse 8, what Abraham says, it remains open ended.
0: In fact, Abraham's response contains a truth that he himself is not yet fully aware of. Abraham does not tell Isaac all he wants to know because he himself does not know. How often do we attempt to feign an answer to the unspeakable when we really just don't know? Abraham does not know at this moment. In the story, if Isaac is God's act of provision, he does not know that God will provide a rescue for Isaac. It could be either way, Isaac or an alternative to Isaac. Abraham does not know at this point in the story, but he trusts in God. And for me, this is the radical obedience of Abraham's faith. Abraham trusts God. Although impossible to fully understand, the same God who put Abraham
1: in the situation he is in is reliable. The paradox. It is
0: as if Abraham is caught between what many have called the dark command of God and God's high promise. What some theologians and pastors throughout 2,000 years of church history have said is a strange contradiction in the heart of God. In fact, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said that no human reason, no philosophy can comprehend these two aspects of God. But what we see in this text, in this story, is that Abraham shows us Something very important that the person of faith is the one who is ready to answer to this apparent contradiction. And by saying yes to both God's promise and command, Abraham reveals to us again and again and again that faith is no small thing,
1: it's everything. The faith that God requires is total. There is no other alternative. Faith is costly. Now, let's turn to the
0: end of the story. Beginning in verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then He stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. From the beginning to the end, Abraham says, yes. Abraham says yes to the will and the word of God.
1: Abraham passes the test, and it is there God intervenes. We can breathe, right? Not so quickly.
0: This is not a Disney movie where the immature child or rebellious teenager ends up teaching their parents they were wrong all along. No. At the end of this story, there is no sentimentality. There are no audible sounds of rejoicing. Yes, God provided. This is abundantly clear. But the depth and the width of God's provision for Abraham came at a cost. Abraham had to enter into the command of God to actually discover that God's promise is certain. He himself had to carry the dangerous objects with which Isaac could hurt himself, a torch and a knife. Abraham had to ascend the terrain and build an altar on which he would have his son bound. He had to bind and restrain his only son, whom he loved by hands and feet. And he had to carry out many ritual prayers before God as his son lay merciless before him and with much fear and trembling abraham had to make the movement of faith's final act with a knife in hand in harmony with gravity's downward pull and it is at the point of death where god intervenes where god provides and god renews god's promises in this case It is in the final act of faith that Abraham discovers that God's promise and provisions are certain. This is the way of God, is it not? In fact, this is what God does. God took on human flesh and journeyed down the same road that he paved for Abraham and Isaac. The road out into God's Forsakenness. Long after Abraham and Isaac, God carried out his own command to fulfill his own promise. God sacrificed his only
1: begotten son, Jesus, the son whom he loved for the sins of the world. You were bought at a price, God's only son the only son he loved, Jesus Christ. In conclusion,
0: over the past few weeks, I've thought really long and hard about this story. And I've had many, too many conversations about it with too many people, to be honest. But I'm glad I did because one of the things that I've discovered about myself is this why does the very things that bother me with the story of
1: Abraham and Isaac not bother me in the story of Jesus' death? It should equally trouble me at least that God sacrifices his son
0: and trouble me just as much that Jesus was willing to fulfill that command, knowing what it would cost.
1: I've grown too comfortable with this knowledge. I've forgotten that faith is costly. What is comfortable and known in
0: this great sacrifice of God for my sin is abhorrent when I apply it to other people like Abraham and Isaac. So just as I'm asking, why would God ask Abraham to do such a thing? Maybe I will never fully understand. My bigger question is this, why does God do this with God's son? And it is here that I find myself face to face once again with
1: the stark and undeniable reality for me. For you. At the end of the day, I believe the story of Abraham. And Isaac means to disquiet our
0: comfortable souls. We should be disturbed at this story and the true cross of faith and relationship with God. It
1: comes at a deep personal cost to God's own self. And before I leave us here, let me just say that it is in this disturbance
0: that I pray that we, like Abraham, will turn to the provider who has answered this disturbance in the death and resurrection of his son, his only son,
1: Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.